Well, good morning. Last week, I handed out a bunch of surveys, and those surveys, at the very top of it, was called Contemporary Issues. We are taking a short break from Philemon, as was discussed last week, and I put out a vote on 20 different issues, contemporary things, and the votes came in fast and furious, and it was a nail-biting race to the finish by one single point the top, the winner out of the topics was civil disobedience. And the subcategories of that are protests, riots, and revolution. And so, apparently, you guys want to talk about this. And so, we're go what I'm going to be presenting today is the biblical doctrine of the lesser magistrate. So what I'm not going to be talking about is, hey, let's, let's all complain about what we're really upset about and have an echo chamber of everything that makes us mad. That's not what we're doing. Thank you. What we, you're welcome. What we, good morning. What we are doing is I'm going to be presenting the classic reformed position, uh, which, is, which in previous times was called the doctrine of the lesser magistrate. We usually don't use that terminology anymore. But I'm presenting the classic reformed position on these things. Uh, this is not going to be 45 minutes about COVID. So just so you're aware, right off the top. Thank you. Class, can Christians be involved in civil disobedience? Can we or have we? Can we? Are we biblically permitted to partake in civil disobedience? Yes, yes, yes. I'm getting a lot of yeses. Can Christians biblically ever partake in acts of protest? Yep. Getting a lot of yeses. Can Christians be involved in riots? No. Can they or should they? Biblically. Biblically, are we permitted to ever be involved in a riot? Riot isn't like vandalism? Or like what kind of riot are we talking about? I'll define it in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and can Christians be involved in a revolution? Because those were the topics on the paper. You asked for this. <laughs> all right. Let's get some definitions going. The definition, this is all from the Oxford Dictionary, of civil disobedience. The refusal to comply with certain laws or to pay taxes slash fines fines as a form of political protest. I hope that is readable. Now that you know the definition, this is from Oxford Dictionary, the refusal to comply with certain laws or to pay taxes slash fines as a form of political protest. Is there ever a time where a Christian can engage in civil disobedience? I'm getting nods, but nobody wants their voice on the record. Yes, absolutely. We're getting yeses, absolutely. we're getting yeses. Let's define protest. So this says, as a form of political protest. What is a protest? A statement or action expressing disapproval or of or objection to something. 
So a protest is a statement or action expressing disapproval of or objection to something. Are Christians allowed to protest ever? There can be things that we may protest. All right. All right, let's have some fun. Riots. What is a riot? A riot is a violent disturbance by a crowd. Shorter definition. A riot, a violent disturbance by a crowd. A disturbance of the peace, I should say. Of the peace by a crowd. Are Christians allowed to be involved in riots? Now I'm getting no's. And shaked heads, not nodded heads. We seem to not be on board with that one. All right. And then a revolution is a forcible overthrow of a government or social order in favor of a new system. So a revolution, a think American Revolution, French Revolution, a forcible overthrow of a government or social order in favor of a new system. Is there ever a time where a Christian can be involved in a revolution? Man, we just started and we're already, we're already uh, feeling it. All right. We're going to talk about some relevant biblical principles. The last thing I'm going to define, I'm not going to put it on here, is this word up here, magistrate. That's really important for the way that the reformers understood this. A magistrate is a civil officer or a lay judge who administers the law. That's all it is. So your MPs is a form of a magistrate. Justin Trudeau is a magistrate. Uh, Joe Biden is a magistrate. Every state governor is a magistrate. Uh, and judges are magistrates. So anybody who is elected into power is a magistrate. Now, those are our definitions. And we're going to have to talk about some biblical things about this. But let's... Sorry, quick question. Yeah. Elected? Elected. Um, so there are some forms where it's not really election, and then, like a monarchy, for instance, you don't elect your new king. It's by no, I mean, like, by say birth. Here, say here in North America, it would generally oh. be elected. Would it be elected people giving other people huge power? It would just be elected. He's appointed. Oh, yeah, elected or appointed to in civil rulership. So. Supreme Court judges are appointed. Correct, and they are definitely magistrates. People that maybe had no power and all of a sudden got tons of power. What I'm thinking is MPs and MPPs. Okay, cool. Uh, those are particularly who I would have in mind as a civil magistrate. So now that we have our definitions, we seem to be okay with these two, not okay with this one, and some little mixed feelings on this one, it sounded like. And I'm going to give what is the, when we go through all the biblical principles, you'll see this, but. I'm going to tell you already now the way that it works with the study that I've done and the reformed understanding of these things. Civil disobedience you see in the Bible. There are times when civil disobedience happens. It doesn't happen all the time. It doesn't happen for every issue. But there are times when somebody refuses to comply with certain laws in Scripture. We can all think of an example, but can you give me an example when someone in the Bible refused to comply with a law as a form of protest? 
Yeah. Not bowing to statues of Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar statue. That's a form of political or of civil disobedience. So it happens, but just because it happens doesn't mean, oh, I don't like this. Now I'm going to do it. So we have to grant that it can happen. But just because it can happen doesn't mean it's free season. You can just do civil disobedience about everything. Let's go to protest. A statement or action expressing disapproval of or objection to something. Do you see it in scripture where somebody makes a statement or does an action that expresses disapproval or objection to something? Is that in scripture? You think of an example? The Apostle Paul kind of? When? I don't know, when he was kind of pleading his case all the time. Like maybe more than protesting necessarily. Right. Um, going against the system. And, if you turn to Matthew 14. Yeah. Matthew chapter 14. You are going to get an example of protest. Jesus messed up some stuff, man. In Matthew chapter 14, it says this, At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. Is that statement a statement expressing disapproval of or objection to something from somebody in power? Yes, it is. So once again, just like civil disobedience, Scripture has examples of protest where it is theoretically possible. But just because it's theoretically possible doesn't mean we protest every single thing just because we're upset about something. But we have to grant that there is Christian freedom to sometimes do this and to sometimes do this. We can disagree about why they're doing it or if they're right to do it, but we have to grant that there is some freedom on some of these issues. Liberty of the conscience. Let's go to riot. Turn to... There's no, I can't think of an example in Scripture where Christians are involved in a riot. Let's think a violent disturbance of the peace by a crowd. When you think of a riot, you're thinking of bottles going through windows, setting cars on fire, maybe uh, having a guy walking down the street and you'd mob violence on the guy. Like th These are things that happen in riots. Now, is that the way that we are supposed to affect our nation? is by doing things like that, or affecting our societies, getting the Christian witness out of violent disturbance. There's no examples in Scripture of Christians ever doing this. And not only that, but historically, Christians do not involve themselves in riots. This is where Romans 13 is helpful. Uh, you might as well turn to Romans 13. In Romans 13, it says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he, this is the key, if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Okay, 
The idea of having the sword. The one who has the sword, he does not wield it in vain. He is the avenger who puts out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Who, according to Romans 13, has been given the responsibility to use the sword to exact justice. Is it private citizens? It's the government. It's your ruler. Private citizens do not have the right to pick up a sword, to pick up a gun, to go get a bomb and blow up government buildings. That is not permitted in scripture. Now, we are going to have to go a little bit further. So we can't just, as private citizens, just start rioting and being violent. We don't get to do the violence. The government gets to do the violence on wrongdoers, according to Romans 13. Now let's talk revolution. A revolution is a forcible overthrow of a government or social order in favor of a new system. Revolution happens in scripture. We get that most clearly in the example of David and Saul. Now, it's not the type of revolution that we see in the French Revolution, for instance, where the government is having a meeting, they're trying to solve the issues of society, and then the citizens storm the Bastille and they steal a bunch of guns and they, guns blazing. Private citizens taking the sword, so to speak, and wielding it against the government. I would argue that the French Revolution was absolutely an, an unbiblical revolution. Now, even if there were legitimate concerns that they had, but private citizens can't wield the sword of justice. However, in the American Revolution, it's a bit different. What you had was elected officials over the people in their states. Each of the colonial states had their elected representatives. And they met in Philadelphia in 1774. And when they met, this is what eventually became the, um, the Continental Congress. But when they met, they sent a list of demands to the king about different things that were happening, unjust things that were happening, and they did not vote to have a revolution that year. But they said, we're gonna meet in this room again in Philadelphia next year, and if this hasn't been addressed, we're gonna secede from Britain. And that's exactly what ended up happening. And so, what you have are legitimate elected officials, a la Romans 13, you have governing authorities over a people who then called for revolution against the ones who ruled over them at the time. That's the key of the lesser magistrate. Those American elected officials are magistrates. They're ones who administer the law. They're ones who are instituted and appointed by God. And so the reformed understanding of when can you be involved in a revolution is only at the command of a lesser magistrate. Private citizens are not allowed to just go storm a police station, steal some guns, and start a people's revolution. Not permitted by scripture. What is permitted is when you have a lesser magistrate, a legitimately elected or appointed official who calls for one, and then the second part, there is a just cause for it. Now, you can debate what a just cause is, but you won't even get it started if you don't have a lesser magistrate asking for it. Let's put this to today. Can Canadians stand up against Justin Trudeau and start a revolution? Not if it's a people's revolution. We in this room can't be like, Justin Trudeau sucks, let's go get our guns and start, start a revolution. We can't do that. But the reformed understanding of the doctrine of the lesser magistrate means if there is an MP or an MPP, 
and there is a just cause and they are calling for a revolution, the classic understanding is that Christians have the freedom to join such a group. And this comes from the David and Saul stuff. Um, Saul was the king. Before David was a legitimate civil authority, David had absolutely no right to put his hand upon Saul. Saul had priests killed, and David still could not do anything against him until he was an actual legitimate authority. He was not a legitimate authority until, A, God appointed him to be one. Read 1 Samuel and a bit of 2 Samuel. That's where you'll get all this. And secondly, he had to have people join him. You remember he had a militia of about 600 men. And that's all he had for a time. But as time went on and Saul is just going nuts, more and more of, the, of what was the 12 tribes start joining David. So not only was he instituted by God to be king, Samuel anointed him to be king, but now the people are coronating him over them. So he is a legitimate authority now. Now that he's a legitimate authority, he can raise the sword against another authority. So that's kind of the, a basic understanding of where we get the lesser magistrate from. Christians can't just start a revolution. But historically, we have the freedom to join one if it is called by a legitimate authority, by a lesser magistrate. Relevant biblical principles. Number one, government is established by God for public good and is to be ordinarily obeyed in every lawful order. That sound blunt? Ordinarily, Christians are expected to obey the government in every lawful order. We get that from 1 Samuel 8, Romans 12 and 13, and then the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 23. Of the civil magistrate, I'm going to read a couple of them. God, the supreme Lord and King of all the world, hath ordained civil magistrates to be under him over the people for his own glory and the public good, and to this end hath armed them, that is the government, with the power of the sword for the defense and encouragement of them that are good and for the punishment of evildoers. And it has three more points about how we are to interact with them. One of them being, point three, civil magistrates may not assume to themselves the administration of the word and sacraments or the power of the keys of the kingdom of heaven or in the least interfere in matters of faith. Yet, as nursing fathers, it is the duty of civil magistrates to protect the church of our common Lord without giving preference to any denomination of Christians above the rest. And it goes on. So there's some principles. Ordinarily, we obey the government in every lawful order. But we all know that there's limits. Scripture gives limits. The Westminster Confession of Faith recognizes that there's limits. Even in Romans 13, is the government supposed to be a terror to those that are good? According to Romans 13, they're not supposed to. Are they supposed to punish the wicked? They're supposed to punish the wicked. Okay, so we're just getting principles right now. Governments are called to be right are called to righteousness and godliness. That's principle number two. Governments are called to righteousness and godliness. We get that in Matthew 14, even like we read earlier. It's not lawful for you to have her. You're supposed to be righteous. You're, you're not supposed to be going after your brother's wife. You're supposed to, we're, we're calling upon the law of God here. This comes from Psalm 110, uh, part, part of Matthew 28 as well. Principle number three. Civil magistrates are God's minister to hold the sword of justice and have the duty of exacting vengeance upon evildoers on earth. That came right from Romans 13. If you have evil, wicked people in your society, it is the government's job to hold them to account. Not private citizens, the government's job. Number four, 
justice is not to be taken by private hands, but only by lawful magistrates. We've already talked about that. Private citizens cannot exact justice against the government. Principle number five. Scripture always allows the option of following a lower magistrate in resistance to a king. We get that from 2 Samuel 20, 1 Kings 12, 2 Chronicles 10. And finally, and then we'll start getting into some discussion here. The classic reformed position is that anarchy is worse than tyranny. Reformers have always said that. Anarchy is worse than tyranny. And then finally, especially when it comes to revolution, armed resistance can only happen at the command of a lawfully ordained civil magistrate. And we've talked about that a couple times already. So those are general principles and definitions. Just based on where we're at now, has this already been helpful in any way to help define some of this? What are you thinking about? What do you, what do you think about this? Any thoughts that you want to get out now? <clears throat> Yeah, John. Um, this came from John MacArthur. What do you do when the government, what can you do when the government disobeys its own set laws? Mm -hmm. That's something we're going to talk about. Okay. You, you can feel free to answer him now if you'd like, but we are going to get to that. Any other thoughts or things you want to bring up? The, the idea of just cause, I think is one of the crux to this, to this issue. And there is no crux to someone who is unwilling to see evil or to call out evil in one's government. See no evil, hear no evil, we don't have no problem. Hmm. I think we also need to be careful about civil disobedience and protest. It's got to be from a biblical perspective, a godly perspective. A lot of what we do today is not fact. It's we don't like something, so we do it because we don't like it. Or the community doesn't like it. Mm -hmm. But if it isn't from a godly base, then it's wrong. Absolutely wrong. And I think we as believers that sometimes get caught up in that other stuff. Yeah. And we, we don't do right. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, are, you, are you done with Romans uh, 13? It'll end up being relevant later, but... You're coming back to it? Potentially. Okay. You have something to say on Romans 13? <laughs> well, any attempt to disconnect verse 10 from what comes before <coughs> is dishonest in the interpretation of Romans 13. Loving your neighbor. Yeah. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, but it's the fulfilling of the law, which is referring to God's law, of course. Like, that's referring to Ten Commandments... God's eternal moral principles. That is the way we're supposed to treat each other. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Which, if you're here for any of the Ten Commandments sermons, like, do not commit adultery is just don't sleep with a married woman. Like, if you think about what is God actually asking us to do and do not commit adultery. Prize your marriage. Treasure your marriage. Protect your marriage. Be about one person. Like, like it's a positive thing, not just a don't do this. That's how you fulfill it. So we fulfill our mandate to love each other when we encourage each other to worship the one God. When we don't worship through images or through anything else. When we honor the Sabbath. These are ways that we love our neighbor. Now, let's get into some specific examples. And I'm getting some of this from 
uh, Phil Kaiser. I printed out some of his stuff here. If you want that, you can come get it later. Jesus' arrest. Now, Jesus is arrested. Was Jesus an innocent man? Of course he was an innocent man. Was he in the right? Legally, he'd be in the right. Absolutely. He was the just, most just man ever who's ever been arrested. Um, Jesus' arrest. Let's pull a couple things out of there. Number one, right before he's arrested, Jesus affirmed the right to self-defense. That's not controversial. He told his disciples, if you don't have a sword, go sell your garment and get one. He tells them to go get a sword. He affirms the right to self-defense, number one. But just hours later, he's in the garden, he's getting arrested, and he did not allow his disciples to use the sword against the government agents even though it was in defense of innocent life. Jesus is innocent. An innocent man's getting arrested. He told them to get swords, but now they go to use it to protect innocent life? They're not allowed to use the sword of justice against government agents. Tells them, no, put it back. That's something to think about. In There's definitely a principle there. had a mission, and that was number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. John 18, 36, Jesus makes clear, he's actually, that's worth turning to. He says something very fascinating in John 18, 36. He's before Pilate. Starting at 33, Pilate enters headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? <coughs> Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. Okay, we can miss that word, would be fighting. Jesus is making it pretty clear how he would resist tyranny if he were a civil magistrate. This might be different thinking the first time you hear it. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. We would. Oh, heck yeah, we would. So that I shouldn't be delivered to the Jews. Jesus would fight if his position at that time was that of a civil magistrate. But it wasn't. He was, it was not the time for fighting. Since Christ was not a civil magistrate at that time, he and his disciples provide a model for private citizens of disobedience or resistance to unjust laws. We've got to see how do they deal with this unjust situation. What are they allowed to do and what are they not allowed to do? At Christ's arrest, there are four things that they were allowed to do to protest the action that was going on, to, to engage in civil disobedience. Number one... Protest is innocence. We get that from Matthew 26, 55 and 56. They could protest. He's an innocent man. So when the government's doing something wrong, you have every right to, to tell them this is not right. This is wrong. You have every, every freedom to say that if it actually is wrong. Number one, they could protest. Number two, they could rebuke their injustice. I rebuke you for what you've done. We get that from Matthew 26, 55. You are not just say, this is wrong, but you can rebuke an authority for breaking God's law. Number three, you can ask that the disciples not be detained. Or at least that's what they did then. That was the third thing. Don't, de 
don't detain us. You can ask that they not be detaining. You can make legitimate requests to the government. That's from John 18, 8 to 9. And the only la the last thing that they could do, run away. Flight. Leave. Flee. Matthew 26, 56. So the four things that the disciples could do at Jesus' arrest, protest his innocence, rebuke of their injustice, <coughs> asking that the disciples not be detained, and flight. Is any part of that, I'm going to pick up a gun or a sword. I'm going to start a riot. I'm going to get a mob together and we're going to make this right. Nope. It's not what they're allowed to do. Christ followers, let's get this off of specifically Christ's arrest. Resistance to government which was allowed. Um, we get this from Luke 13 as well as Acts 4. Remember when they say, stop preaching in Jesus' name. Sorry, we're going to keep doing it. We, are, we have to obey God here, not man. They could disobey an unjust injunction. Again, is it just or is it not? That is always going to be the question. But if you're already granting that Christians have freedom, in their li liberty of conscience, we can disobey an unjust injunction. Uh, think of Jesus. Don't you dare heal that man on the Sabbath. Put out your hand. And it's better. That's Jesus disobeying an unjust injunction. So we grant that it's theoretically possible, but that's not the debate. The, de the debate is going to be, the government's doing this. Is it right for me not to obey? Can I engage in civil, civil disobedience here? That's where the question, like Roger said, it's always going to be about is it just or not. It's not really about if we have freedom to, because we know from Scripture we do. So the disciples or the Christ followers can disobey an unjust injunction if it's actually unjust. Number two, we can flee from or hide from the government. If the government's seeking you, there's all kinds of examples in Scripture where you can run away. Matthew 2, Jesus' own parents ran away. God told them, run away from government. So we know in Scripture, you're allowed to run away from government uh, if they are acting in, a, in, in an unjust way. Acts 14 as well, Paul runs away to flee arrest, to flee the, uh, the Jews who are trying to kill him. You can run away from, uh, from them. Number three, you could use the law against the government. Paul does that. Paul uses his Roman citizenship against the Jews. You're not allowed to do this to me. You can't be beating me. I'm a Roman citizen. You're not allowed to beat Roman citizens. He used the law against his captors. You can use the law against the government. Number four, when one magistrate persecuted them, that is Christ's followers, they could appeal to another magistrate or faction within the government to use force to protect them. You got one side of the government persecuting you, you can appeal to another part of the government to protect you, to, to get involved in this. Help me out here. You're allowed to do that. That's what Paul does again. He's going to appeal to Caesar. You guys are not acting justly. You just beat me. You're going to tell me to go away without saying anything? No, 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 no. I'm appealing to Caesar. You can always appeal to another side. One, two, three, four. Number five. Christians can defend themselves in court and appeal to higher courts. You don't just have to accept what's being, being put upon you. You can appeal it legally and lawfully. And finally... You can pray the imprecatory psalms and prayers asking for God's judgment to come. You can pray. So here's your options, Christ followers. Resistance to government which was allowed. You could disobey an unjust injunction. You can flee from the government or hide from them. 
you could use the law against the government. When one magistrate persecutes you, you can appeal to another magistrate. You can defend yourselves in court or appeal to higher courts, and you can pray. Those are your options. Now, where it starts getting a little bit dicier, what if that magistrate starts calling for revolution? And that's when we've discussed already, and a just cause, if a legitimate authority is asking or calling for revolution, there's Christian freedom to join it or not, but you're not forced to join it. Just because a revolution is starting, there's no reason to believe that every single Christian has to be involved. Or maybe we can discuss this. If the government's doing something unjust, and we grant that there's freedom to disobey unjust injunctions, does that mean that every Christian should be disobeying that injunction? Or is there freedom for them to obey too? What do you think about that? Let's actually get into some discussion now. I've presented a case for the doctrine of the civil magistrate and civil disobedience at a higher, not a specific level, but kind of a principle level. What, what, what do you think about when the government does something unjust and some Christians start to disobey, is it binding on the conscience of other Christians that they should be joining in to the disobeying? John, oh, Ryan? Uh, not real. I don't think so because it's almost like um, Paul and the, the food issue, right? Uh, giving meat to idols okay. that were sacrificed to idols. Yeah. Well, if your conscience bothers you, it's okay not to eat it, but it's okay to eat it. So from that perspective, I would say I don't think it's binding. Okay. John, let's make it more oh. complicated then. What if you willingly turn a blind eye to evil? You're off the hook. The question is, should you get involved just because? No, I think the question was, um, if someone doesn't agree with, say, my idea to foment revolution, should I hold other Christians to the same, to my standard? I don't think you should. I, think I, I, I agree with you, but what if someone is... Is, is balking at revolution because they have willingly turned a blind eye to evil. That's, that's the twist. I go back to civil disobedience. I think we are binded if it's sin. In fact, we're all required to go against sin. There's no excuse not to. There's no, every single person in this room should be on the exact same page. Everyone. There's no opinions when it comes to sin. Sin is sin. The government is trying to pass, let's be honest, we're all disobeying the government right now because our pastor is bravely preaching what is not allowed in Canada anymore, right? About marriage, about this, about your child, about gender, sexuality, all that stuff. We are all civilly disobeying by doing what the government says, stop talking about it. So I think when it's sin, it's different than opinion or what do we think, maybe the last two and a half years there's opinion on that. Sin, and we can... We won't get too much into that, but sin, actual sin, if they say you are now not allowed to talk about what a real marriage is, we are all going to disobey that because that's sinful. You will say that anyone can marry anyone. You will say that a boy can be a girl. Nope. We are civilly disobeying because we will continue following scripture. That's sin. I, I think we are binded. We're bound to that. 
Well, just because everything is lawful, permissible, doesn't make it helpful. I'm talking about civilly disobeying. Okay, but even that, even if it's, even if it's, my, the point is, even if things are lawful to disobey, it's lawful for you to disobey civil disobedience. That doesn't necessarily mean in every case it's going to be helpful. No, but if it's if it's sin, if you're being told do not preach the gospel, we're going okay. to civilly disobey. Sure. Okay. Right. But we, I'm if, just saying, in principle, not everything. Some things you can't, not everything. Right, so it sounds like sure, what Ryan's sure. saying, if yeah, it's clear... It's not sin, of course, yeah. If but. it's a clear-cut issue of righteousness and sin, we should be on the same page. If it's not so clear-cut, more what John's going to, we can't be binding everybody else to follow sure. when there could be a legitimate argument, yeah, maybe, yeah. that it's not. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. What's very clarifying, again, is Romans 13.10, love of neighbor, the greatest command. If government asks me to do something that would result in my silence, to evil means I hate my neighbor. I don't care about my neighbor. Just leave me alone in my nice little house, my like my nice little congregation, and don't encroach. Hmm. Love of neighbor is a very clarifying thing for us. And <coughs> how many churches are talking about that? First of all, does anybody disagree? How many people agree that our government has hurt people? I mean, but they have for decades. Like, that's where turning the blind eye comes in. That, that, that's nothing new. Yeah, I think especially as our nation has degraded from Christianity, but the the level of hurt that they put onto their citizens can increase over time. So I agree that they've been doing this for decades. I think we can also say that maybe there's some particular points there where they're getting worse in some ways. But what do you do? They are a legitimately instituted authority by God. Yep. That is clear from Scripture. So even as our confessions say, we're allowed to engage in civil disobedience. We're allowed to protest. And so this is where I'm going to get to something I said earlier. The Christian liberty, we should start with the fact that when evil is happening... Christians are allowed to protest it. That we should all be able to grant. We have freedom to protest evil. Christ did it. The disciples did it. So what we shouldn't be doing is, you guys are so stupid for not listening on this issue. Yeah. That's a horrible attitude to take. Yeah. And, and an unchristian one, an uncharitable one. What we equally probably shouldn't say is, you're not protesting the same way I'm protesting. How dare you? You dirty compromiser. What I can say, open your eyes. Oh, yes, you can say that. And so, if, we're, if we already got the idea of Christian liberty in mind, that'll already help us be a little bit more charitable to each other. But as time goes on, Christians usually then start gaining more of a consensus on stuff. Um, I think of the Nazi regime. You know that the German church, by and large stood passively during the Nazi rise to power. And the Nazi power was a legitimate authority of God as well. Now, they ended up turning into complete tyranny, as we know, and legitimate authorities waged war on them, and, and it was a just cause and all of that, and the Lord saw to it that they had their end. But over the, as the years went on, more and more Christians in Germany saw there were issues here. 
And not that the, the German church should have ever rioted. I don't think that they have the right to riot. And I, they, I don't even think that they can involve themselves in revolution unless there is another lawful civil magistrate who's calling for it. But should they have been involved in more civil disobedience and more protest? Or a plot to kill Hitler? That was run by a civil magistrate. Um, if there's no civil magistrate within Germany uh, going for revolution, what about an outside force that would be legitimate, like Britain? <laughs> Can they join that? So like joining the British expediary forces and fight against your own nation? How you uh, kill Hitler, even though there's no magistrate in Germany to try and do so? Because those guys are legitimate, but not but in that country, not your country. I remember there's a story in the Old Testament where the Israelites are fighting, and they're fighting this one king who runs away, and he ends up in this woman's tent who belong, who's a citizen of the other king, and she puts a tent peg through his forehead. So, what, JL, was that her name, was that JL? So there seems to be a case in scripture where somebody who was under the jurisdiction of an evil ruler um, was obeying God essentially in that instance and sided with the Israelites and put an end to that one. Now that's a situation of war. This is not a situation of peace and protest. So wartime is when things get a little bit different. We, we're kind of, insulated from these things. We haven't been involved in a full nation war in a very long time. We're not used to thinking about these things as much. We are running out of time. It went pretty quick, but any other comments to make about civil disobedience protests? I guess where I want to go with this to summarize, we have to grant other Christians the right to be involved in civil disobedience and protest for a just cause. We, we don't have to join their protests. I don't think you necessarily have to protest the same way as them. But we have to grant that we have freedom to protest unjust injunctions. Now, you might disagree that they are protesting an unjust injunction. Maybe you don't think it is unjust. And you are free to think that. You're free to believe that. But to try to compel other people who do see it as unjust, who believe that they have scriptural principles for it, probably isn't the right attitude to take. Now, likewise, people who are starting to see things as unjust, just because you think you have found something, don't think it's proper for you to be compelling the consciences of others who aren't there yet. You need to join my protest. As time goes on, we start getting more information. Christian community starts getting more consensus on things. And sometimes we have to deal with the fact that we're just not going to get there for a long time. The German church didn't get there. And it's unfortunate. We should learn from that. But it can be in the Lord's sovereignty that he's not going to let us get the right consensus on something until well after the tyranny is passed. It's an unfortunate thing, but we have historical example of that. Tyler, can we go as far as saying, talking about consensus or this or that, your conscience, can we go as far as saying it is your duty, though, to civilly disobey if it is sinful scripturally? Not, well, I have the freedom to this or that. It is actually a duty to civilly disobey, but it's sin. This paper helps answer that question. This is called Armed Resistance to Tyranny, <laughs> the Biblical Mandate and Limits. This is mostly about revolution, so it's not as much about civil disobedience and protest. I printed seven of these. If you are going to actually read it, I'd like you to take one. But if you're... If, 
Don't just take it, uh, like, if you're gonna read it. This is a very balanced perspective, and some of what I said here comes directly from this. So, especially if you wanna get the biblical, the Bible passages that I've been referencing in Samuel, Chronicles, Kings, you'll find it all in here. I have seven copies, and it says that there can be a biblical mandate to resist tyranny. Uh, we have to always gird these things with, with scriptural principles, though. And so to summarize everything as we're running out of time, ordinarily we are supposed to be obeying our governments. They are in place. When they are acting unjustly, we have the freedom to protest. Um, but you, you're, the freedom that you have to protest cannot turn violent. Christians are never to be involved in riots. Um, even talking about starting a revolution, we don't get the power to do that. Only a civil magistrate gets the power to do that. Your options are to protest, to appeal to courts, use the law, run away. And those are your options. And pray. And pray. Yes, thank you. And pray. You got it. <laughs> we are free to do that. Yeah. Well, definitely. In every single step, prayer is, is in there. So if you're going to read this, please take one. I, I can print more copies. It's free to, for me to print them. So if there's a lot of interest, I'll print more copies. Father, can I quote uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer? If it's quick. It is quick. <laughs> Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. His biggest regret, and Germany's, uh, the Confessing Church in Germany, their greatest regret was having said nothing. Next week, we will be teaching what was the second most voted for thing, which is educating children. So that was the topic of uh, homeschooling, private schooling, and public schooling. <coughs> so we're going to talk a little bit about that. I'm going to bring in a Tim Challies article. It's going to be pretty good. So next week we're going to talk about biblically educating children. I want there to be discussion next week. Bring stuff if you're willing to talk. Let's pray and then go to service. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us here. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you that we have wise men and women who have thought about these things for a long time and that we can use your word to help us understand when is it allowed to, to protest? When is it allowed to disobey an injustice? I thank you also for the gift of government. And we are to, to be model citizens, really, in ordinary times. Would you help us do that? At the same time, help us see when things are evil and call evil what it is and call good what it is. In the end, help us be wise, Lord. These are difficult things. Let us be wise in, in all of our interactions with government and with our neighbor. Prepare our hearts now for worship. Amen.